Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. The disciples came and asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus talked to them about, don't be like the Gentiles because they pray vain, repetitious prayers. And then he taught us a a pattern of prayer that we've turned into a vain, repetitious prayer. So it doesn't mean we don't pray that. I go through that pattern almost every day, but I allow the Spirit of God to elaborate on it as we're praying. So let's continue in prayer for tonight, for God's will to be done. Father, we thank you tonight for the promises of your word, of the psalm that Anita just read, and of the assurance of the prayer that you taught us to pray. And now we look to your word. We look to the teacher, the Holy Spirit, tonight to open the eyes of our understanding that we would leave here tonight with a greater knowledge of the reality of who you are and what you have done for us and what you want to do for us at a much deeper level in our understanding in our hearts. Father, we just ask you for a, a revelation tonight of the love that you have for us that's been given to us in Christ. And for that, we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I, I wasn't sure what to do tonight. I knew I needed to teach tonight. I was away last week, and Pastor Michael did a great job filling in. Um, and I woke up about 3 o'clock this morning, and this is sometimes how it happened, and a phrase came to me, and I knew when the phrase came to me, I knew what, what I was to do. And it's a message I've done a long time ago, and it's along the lines of healing, and I'm going to let you wait a little bit to find out what the phrase is. Um, but I want to go to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. I mean, this is... Reverend Kenneth Hagin did not write this verse, but God gave him insight and understanding into the verse. There's a key in here because Jesus is basically teaching us the key to answered prayer. A lot of times what we do, just as we mentioned a few minutes ago, is we'll put our confidence in how we pray. So if, if, if there's a need that comes up, we want to get a whole bunch of people together praying, and that's wonderful, that's a good thing to do. But then we get concerned, do we pray the right way? How many times do I need to pray? And we, just, and, we, and we get the focus on what we're doing and not who we're talking to. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a very simple, powerful lesson here, because they've just seen him, the background here is they've just seen him speak not to his father, but to a fig tree, and tell it to be, to, to basically wither and die, and in the course of less than 24 hours, it is died, withered and died from the root up. And Jesus is using this as a teaching example. He wasn't surprised. He was walking right on by it. But Peter stops and says, well, master, the tree you cursed yesterday, it's withered from the roots up. And Jesus sees this as a teaching example. And he teaches in verse 23, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. Therefore I say unto you, oh, this is it, whatsoever things you desire, when you, when you pray, not how often you pray, but when you pray, this is the key, you must believe that you have received the answer to your prayer when you pray. Before you ever see it, you must believe that you have Received it. This is basic faith teaching. Basic healing is simply an answer to prayer. So what we've been looking at at healing is fits in here. But there's something I want to get to about this. So Jesus is teaching here that the main requirement in the Bible, the main requirement for receiving answers to your prayers and therefore healing, is you must believe in your heart. This is verse 23. Believe in your heart and then not doubt. And here's where the problem comes in. We believe things with our mind, but it's what is your your heart believing? Now we've seen in the study that we've done over a number of months now really, we've seen that it's God's will to heal. Pastor Ray did a great job with that. God's made clear in his word that it's his will to heal. And one of the greatest examples of that, proof of that, is the multitudes that would come to him 
and the, the report is that he healed all of them. He healed everyone that came to him in these crowds. Now, there's 27 different healing miracles that Jesus performed that the Gospels report. In fact, John says at the end that there were many more things that he did, but they're not included here because if you had to include them, the books couldn't contain all that Jesus did. But he says, I've chosen these things, we've chosen these things, that you might believe that he is the Son of God. So there are about 27 healing miracles, separate ones. Out of those 27, 10 of them are examples of where he healed a large crowd, and everyone in that crowd was healed. I want to say that again. Everyone in that crowd was healed. And what I want to do tonight is I'm going to read through quickly those ten, nine of those, and then I want to do something different with the tenth one. And I want to just read, because these are verses that if, in fact, they've been taught here over these last few weeks, some of them have. Those of you that have been around for a while, you've heard them taught before. But I want to let something sink in. This is what, when I woke up in the night, this, this phrase came to me, and then I was coming into this morning and praying and saying, Lord, show me this really is what you actually was in the shower. A lot of times God talks to me in the shower. And I suddenly saw what it was, what's so important, and what I believe what God wants to get across to us. So I want to read down through these, and then I want to talk about this. So before, before we do this, let me lay a foundation here. Now think about this. We're talking about ten situations where G, the report is there was a large multitude. We don't know how many. There were some that says there were multitudes. Whether it was a hundred, a thousand, I've got to believe it's more than a hundred. And everyone in that group was healed. Now there's some things we can glean from that which we have talked about before. First of all, that means it was not God's, or God's will about who was to be healed was not separately determined in that incident where Jesus prayed because they all got healed. In other words, Jesus didn't need to know who was in the crowd because if God only heals certain people, he would know, need to know who's in the crowd that it's God's will and who's in this crowd that it's not God's will. In order to receive healing in those situations, the, the only requirement was that you were in the crowd. So if you were in the crowd, you were healed. So there wasn't a qualifying event. It wasn't Jesus said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Everybody on this side of the crowd, you move over here. The rest of you guys, you might as well go home. And I'm going to heal these people because I can just discern it's God's will to heal just these people, but it's not God's will to heal them. No, he healed everybody without knowing who they were. Well, he was the son of God. He knew who everybody was. No, we talked several weeks ago about an incident in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal, raise up Jairus' daughters, it turned out. And this woman with an issue of blood stops without talking to Jesus, reaches out and touches his garment, and she feels healing virtue, power, go into her body, and she immediately knows she's healed in her body because she can feel it, and Jesus knows power went out of him, and he doesn't know who touched him. He has to turn around and ask who touched him, which means if he didn't, if, if he had to know who, whether it was God's will or not, he would need to find out who touched him before he released the power. The power was present to whoever touched him in faith. So here we've got a crowd, in, in ten incidents of crowds. So the first thing is, everybody in the crowd is healed, which means it must have been God's will to heal everybody that came to him. The second thing is there was no qualifying criteria. It wasn't just those that are good Jews. It wasn't, certainly wasn't anybody, it wasn't that were saved. None of them were saved yet. So there was no requirement to receive their healing other than they came asking and they were there in the crowd. 
So let's go through nine of them, then I'm going to do something with the tenth. See, this we know well. But just listen, listen as we go through these. Matthew 4, this is the beginning of his ministry. He's just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's just gone out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He hasn't called his disciples yet. He's come back. He's about to give the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in Matthew 4, 23 through 25, And Jesus went about in all Galilee. We talked about this a few weeks ago. In all Galilee, he went about, which means it was his normal course of, of business, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. His fame went out through all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and every kind of itics. And he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, then he goes up on the mountain, he tells the, gives what we call the, the Lord's the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And then chapter 8 begins with he heals an individual healing. He heals the leper who comes to him and asks, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. Jesus said, it's my will. And he reaches out and touches him and heals him. And then, and then he heals Jairus's, uh, he heals the, the centurion's servant. And then he comes and he, he, uh, he heals Peter's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and then the and that evening, Matthew eight sixteen, and when the evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. Many came to him, and he healed all who were sick. Matthew nine thirty five. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We've talked about this before. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew twelve fifteen, And when Jesus knew what he withdrew from there, this means that they were after him. And great multitudes, great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And he healed them all. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved for compassion for them and healed their sick. When he crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it, and as many as touched it, and as many as touched it, were made perfectly well. Who determined who got well? As many as touched it. It wasn't God that decided, this group's going to get healed. This group. No, it's the ones that went out. They came and then they did what they believed. They believed that they touched his garment, and it was those that acted on that that were made perfectly well. Matthew nineteen twelve, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Matthew 21, this is at the temple before, right in the last week of his life. And the, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Luke six seventeen through 19. And he came down with them and stood at a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great, multi- a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came near to him to be healed of their diseases. And as well as those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Now, most of us know these verses. You may not know where they all are. You may not remember them all. But certainly in the course of this this series and other teachings we've had and things you've read and things you've listened to, you've heard these. I've heard these. But here's the problem. 
Jesus said, if you believe in your, believe in your heart and not doubt in your heart. So you can believe something in your mind. You can be totally convinced in your mind that something is true. We'll talk a little bit about this on Sunday. You can be absolutely, you can know the script, you can have it memorized backwards and forwards, you can have, know the exegesis of it, you can have taken it apart, you could have studied the Greek language, you could know all about it, study the context of it, and all that is in your head. But it's what gets into your heart. We talk Sunday, Proverbs twenty twenty three. out of the heart flow the issues, the forces of the life of God. They flow out of our heart, which is why Jesus says to not doubt in your heart, but to believe in your heart. And so here's the issue when it comes to healing to, to, that I've seen in my life, and I suspect is, is in others. How could, how could multitudes come to Jesus and the whole crowd gets healed? Well, Jesus is power, of course, but we saw faith is involved. Faith is involved. But here's a difference. We could have a, a meeting here and fill this place up, and the problem is that most of us, if not all of us, have never had that experience we just talked about, where you've been in a multitude and everybody's been healed. We've not grown up in that kind of culture, that kind of atmosphere, where people are getting healed. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was easier for people to believe that he could heal them than it was that he could forgive them. Because remember in Matthew 9 when Jesus is in this, in this house and it's filled with Pharisees and disciples, Pharisees and, and Sadducees and other religious leaders, and it says the power to heal was present, but none of them got healed. And then the man that was let down on the stretcher who was paralyzed, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And they're all upset. They think he's committed blasphemy because they don't believe he has the power and authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus says, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. So he was using the healing to show that, that, that he had that authority. So they were easier to believe that he could heal. Why? Because they saw it happening. They saw it happening. There is such a thing as corporate faith. I've been in meetings where you can feel the faith. I've been in other meetings where you don't feel anything. It's dead. And that's what most of us experience. Maybe you've had some individual healings, and that's wonderful, and that's great. But by and large, the expectation when we pray for the sick is we're hoping something happens. We're not expecting something to happen. I was in a, we were in a meeting years ago when we were uh, still in school in Oklahoma. And this was an evangelist who had a very powerful healing anointing. His, just his, his methods were very different. And he came here years and years ago before we were here. And, and, uh, and, and he is praying over people and, and unusual things, manifestations of the Holy Spirit were taking place. There was a young man, we knew him. He'd broken his foot. And he has him come and sit instead of to be in a healing line and just laying hands on him. He has him sit down in a chair and he, he just starts speaking the name of Jesus over him. And this guy's foot just starts raising up. And I could tell, I know we knew him by the look on his face that this was not him doing it. And it, it, we knew it couldn't be because it stayed up for an hour. He was in good shape but not that good shape. And when the spirit released it, his foot was whole and he could walk on it. We saw other miracles take place like that. And so while it was taking place, somebody came up with someone they'd brought there with leukemia or some fatal cancer disease. And suddenly the atmosphere changed in the room. They'd been seeing things happen. But suddenly the atmosphere changed in the room because in our natural minds, this was harder for God. This required something more to see this man healed. And the evangelist stopped it because he could sense the change in the room. And he addressed that. So the point is this. The collective ex the experiences of your life, of praying for people, 
of being in meetings where people are prayed for, and then the collective experience that we as a church, and not just our church, but most of the churches in the United States, not all of them, but most many of them, is that we really do not expect to see it happen. We hope it's going to happen. We, in our mind, may expect it, but somewhere down in our heart, we don't have that confidence and assurance that Jesus is, is talking about. It's caused by past failures that we've had. I know sometimes when I'm praying for people, the enemy bombards my mind with times I prayed for people and we didn't see a result. These kinds of results are not as common today as they were when Jesus walked on the earth or at other times. There have been other times when, the, when there was a move of healing. And we believe that even as a possible, I'm not sure that, even if, if I believe it's possible, I'm not sure that I can receive it. Maybe my faith isn't strong enough. But the people in these crowds we've just read about, why did they believe? Because the word of Jesus, what he was doing, was spreading. That's where the crowds came from. We read one occasion, in fact, there are several of them, where it says, and the word spread outward, and they brought all who were sick. So there was a word spreading that something was happening when Jesus prayed for people. So they were coming, hearing not just isolated cases, they were coming, hearing that everybody that was there is receiving their healing. Everybody that's there is is being made, made whole. It created an expectation. There were not reports of failure. Well, Jesus prayed for this person and nothing happened. So there was a great expectation present in those multitudes. And yet the truth of Jesus' teaching and the truth that he applied in his ministry is just as true today. The power to heal is present. The power to heal is present just as it was when Jesus was present because he's given us that authority in this earth. And yet the problem is we have trouble down in our hearts really expecting. The term is visualizing it, seeing it happen. So here's what the Lord woke me up with in the light. Back in the 50s, I'm going to really date myself. Well, you know how old I am anyway. There was a program. Oh, by the way, for those of you here or watching online, if you're, if you're younger than probably 60 or 65, you may not understand that there was a time when there were only three television networks. <laughs> and here's the real shock. They weren't on 24 hours a day. They came on at sunrise, and they would go off like at midnight. And if you turned your TV on to one of those three stations after midnight, you would see this call sign up there. And it ended with the Star Fangled Banner. Some of you know, remember what I'm talking about. Another shock for those of you that are under that age is that the news was only broadcast two or three times a day. There was a morning news, there was an evening news, national news, usually at 6 o'clock, and then there was a local news that came on at 11 o'clock about the time you were going to bed or turning on Johnny Carson or whoever was on at the time. So there were only a few, three newscasters, anchormen. And, and probably the, the, the premier one was Walter Cronkite. He had that voice. And, and he, had a, he had a voice and he had a, he had a, a reputation of being a, a, a top-notch journalist. And he had a program entitled You Were There. And what it would do was it would go back and take an event in history. I watched one of them this morning on, on YouTube. It was the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776. And it would start with Walter Cronkite doing a regular news broadcast. He had a microphone there, and he had the script in front of him. And he's basically giving the background to the event that you were going to participate in so that you had a context for it, but he would do it as if it were a current event that was taking place. And then, at the, when he finished with that, 
it would turn over, he would, he would send the report out to a reporter who was at the scene. In fact, the tag, the line, tagline that was used was when he finished, he was saying, all things, all things are as they were then, except you are there. And then there would be a reporter, and each show had a little different reporter, who would, who would be showing, the one I watched today, he would be arriving, he arrived at the uh, Independence Hall in Philadelphia, and he gave the background, and the doors opened, he was introducing who some of the people were, and while they were going about their affairs, he would interview some of them, and get their opinions on certain things. What The idea was this, he was bringing us out of our living room into Independence Hall, or whatever this the, the event may be, but the one I watched today was Independence Hall, to make us feel as if we were part of it to give us a greater understanding. And then after we had some background in there, he went to a, 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 an area tavern where there were some of the locals in there, and he interviewed them to talk about what their view of this revolution that was starting. And some of them didn't want, it, want the revolution. They were loyal English, uh, Englishmen. Others couldn't wait to go fight. And in fact, they got into a brawl. So he's trying to bring you into the experience to give you a taste of what it must have been like to be part of that, part of that meeting at, 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 to, for the signing of the Declaration of Independence and then part of the, what it would be like to be among the regular populace. And what it did is it gave you a sense in your senses of what this must have been like to actually be there. So we're going to attempt to do that tonight with the last mass healing that Jesus did. So the setting is this. Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee. And he's gone up on a mountain hill to talk to people, and he's been speaking. And there's a large crowd gathering around. And everything... All things are as they were then, except tonight you are there. What I want to do is I want to go through this verse and attempt to help us visualize what it would have been like if we were actually in this crowd. And I really need the help of the Holy Spirit to do this. I want you to use your imagination. You're going to have to work tonight. I want you to use your imagination. And, and, and part of why I want to do this tonight, part of why I believe God, I want to teach you how to do this. Because you don't have to do this with just this. You can take other Bible stories and you can be there with your... The wonderful thing about our imagination is we can transport us anywhere. You ever have a dream? <laughs> I've dreamt myself in places I'll probably never be. But in my imagination, I can go anywhere. And some of us go... Some of you go in your imaginations, places you shouldn't, shouldn't go. So we're going to attempt to do that tonight. So I want to go through this verse slowly and just kind of imagine that we're there. So can you put the verse up, please? So he, Jesus has departed from where he was and gone around the Sea of Galilee. And he, he's going up on a mountain. So we're approaching the scene. And there's already a crowd kind of gathering around him. Just kind of, you know, let your mind run. And there's an excitement. And it's not, it's not as if, you know, we're out at Cold State Park for a picnic. They've been there for a while. We've been there for a while. And, and maybe we're coming with some physical ailment. So if you have something that you need healing for tonight, I'd like you to use your imagination. With this condition, you're coming to where Jesus is. And you've, you're excited because, because we've heard things that he's done. We've seen things that, heard of things that were impossible that Jesus has done. We've heard of several people that he's raised from the dead. This, this, this leader of a synagogue, I think his name's Jairus. There was a report that, that Jesus went to, to heal her, and by the time he got there, she was dead, and they were getting ready to organize a funeral, and there was a whole, a whole mourning party, and they're wailing, and great tumulting, and Jesus threw them all out. And he goes in, and he takes her by the hand, and raises her up, and brings her back to the family. 
We've heard of stories of this man, this man from Nazareth who, who was passing by and there was a funeral that came by, a funeral procession, and this woman had lost her only son and he stops the procession. And he goes over to this body and he, he reaches over and speaks over it and touches it. And her son sits up. How can these things be true? We've heard of of hearing of other places where he's healed multitudes of people, everybody that was there, and they brought others. We've heard a story about a a, a time when a man had brought his son that was demon-possessed and kept throwing himself in the fire. And they, and they brought him to his disciples and his disciples couldn't do anything. And then Jesus comes down off this mountain and before he's done, he's cast this demon out and restored the boy to his father. We've never heard of things like this. We've heard stories of this man speaking to storms in the middle of the sea and they just quieted down. And even one report that he was seen walking on the water in the storm. Who is this man? I don't know. But I've got to go see him. I'm so curious. We've got to go see him. And there's an excitement around. And we see people with different maladies. So let's go to the next verse. And great multitudes, we're part of this multitude, came to him, having with them lame. So we see people that are lame. They're on crutches, or maybe they're being carried, and one or more of their limbs just are not working right. And, 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 and they're, being, they're limping up to him, they're being carried up to him. And, and then we see around us blind people, maybe with, with, with rags tied around them, feeling their way along, and maybe they've got some friends that are, that are trying to help them, and, and we feel for them. We feel for them wonder can can Jesus really can he really give sight back to blind eyes? Can he really make these lame people that are all around, they're being crowded around, can he really make them walk again? The mute. They can't talk. Maybe they're making sounds like, whoa, whoa, he don't and they can't talk. We've heard stories that he's loosened the tongue. In fact, we, we heard a story that he spit on the ground and took the spittle and touched a man's tongue and he spoke. So there's an anticipation. There's an excitement. They're not just sitting around like we do on Sunday, hoping to see something happen. They're moving towards him. They're being brought towards him. They're pressing in on him and we're kind of caught up in this crowd and in this excitement and we may not fully understand everything but we're just caught up in in it right now. And then there's maimed. That implies there's limbs missing. Now it's more difficult to imagine. A missing limb? Can he do that? But these people that are are maimed, they're in excitement, They're, they're pulling towards him. There's something drawing to him. There's a hope. There's an expectation. There's a sense of power in this crowd that something good's going to happen. And our hopes go up. Our excitement goes up. And Jesus begins to speak. And there's something about his voice There's something about his voice that's like no voice I've ever heard before. There's calm. There's assuredness. There's a gentleness. And yet there's power and authority in his voice. There's something about his voice that's inviting, that's not a scary that doesn't make me afraid to come. In fact, it makes me want to come and to be near him. I don't understand, but I want to be there. And then we we begin to talk to some people about where they've come from and how far they've come. 
And we find out that some have come from way down south. They've come from Jerusalem and, and over in Decapolis. And we find that, 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 that they've come just like we are. They've got some condition and, and, they, and they need to be healed. And there's, there's no other, we forget, there's no other alternative. It's not like, do I go to Rhode Island Hospital? Do I call my doctor or do I go see Jesus? There's no, there's no other alternative. And I talked to some of these, and they said, we've, we've heard the same stories. I, I don't understand, but I want to get there. I, I just believe he's going to be able, if I can get to him, I'm going to be made well. And then we see people being brought and laid at his feet. And he moves out among them. And he begins to touch them. And look what that verse says. And he laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. Go to the next verse. And the multitude marveled. So now it's changing. The atmosphere is just marveling. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you just marvel at something? I mean, you're not, it's not neat. It's your, you're just like, oh. There, there are several places where Jesus marveled. One of them was good marvel, and the other was a bad marvel. Jesus went to his own hometown, and it says he could heal, could not do mighty works there. Why? Because of their collective unbelief. Because they couldn't get around the fact that they saw this boy grow up. They couldn't get around the fact that he was the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and their image of him would not change, and so they could only receive him in terms that they saw him. They could only receive from him in the limitation of what they saw of him, who he was. And it says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He just was dumbfounded. At their un, Jesus had emotions. He got frustrated with the disciples. How long do I have to put up with this? You weren't the first. He marveled at their unbelief. But then there was a woman who brought her daughter to him. And she was demon-possessed. But the problem was she wasn't a Jew. And so she goes to bring her daughter to Jesus, and the disciples inter- intercept her and say, no, no, you can't, you can't get to him. I'm sorry. And she makes a commotion. She tries to push her way through. She makes such a commotion that Jesus comes over. And she says, my daughter's demon-possessed. Have mercy on her. And Jesus said, I didn't come... I didn't come to feed the dogs. And what he's referring to is that she's a Gentile. She has no covenant with God. Basically saying, I came to bring what I, who I am to the nation of Israel, not to the Gentiles. And she wouldn't be stopped at that. She said, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall under the table. We did a message on this series called The Children's Bread. She got crumbs. And it says Jesus marveled at her great faith. He called her faith great faith. The Greek word there is megath, megath, from which we get megabucks, megagulp. It means enormous. It's the only place where the only person Jesus ever said had mega faith. And he marveled at her faith. So people are marveling at what's going on here. We're back in the scene again. Because they're now seeing. They're, they're seeing mute people. They're hearing them speak. We saw, we saw them come up past us. And they couldn't talk. Some of us tried to talk with them, and they couldn't talk. And now they're coming back, and they're, 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 their faces, they're, they're marveling in their faces. And they're talking. Some of them just keep talking and talking and talking. And then there's, there's maimed, the maimed we saw with limbs missing, arms and legs missing. 
They're walking back from this experience and, and they're whole. The legs have grown out. The arms have grown out. They're made whole. We heard of an incident of a man in the temple that Jesus speaks to and his hand was withered. Just a little hand. And this man spoke to it and, and told the man to stretch his hand out, which makes no sense, but the man did what Jesus said. And as he stretched it out, that hand was made whole, just like the other. So we're seeing them come back. And now our expectations is even greater. I now know that whatever it is I need, I'm going to get, because I'm seeing it come back. And then we see the lame that went up there with crutches and with help from their friends and now they're dancing and running and jumping because they can walk maybe for the first time in their life. And then the blind people. We saw blind people that had rags around their eyes and, and were, were having trouble walking except those that had somebody, and now they're coming back and they're blinking because the light is so bright and they're startled, they're stunned because they can now see. And there's a shout going on. There's a glory to God going on. And all you have to do is be in that crowd. Just be in that crowd and you get caught up and have great confidence and expectation that when you get to him, when you get to him, that what happened to them is going to happen to you. Very different atmosphere than what we experience in our own life. Yet the principle and the truth is exactly the same. We have studied and talked about several weeks ago that the Bible teaches us that God made a covenant promise with his people that he would remove sickness from their midst. If they would serve him, he would remove sickness from their midst. He made that promise twice to Israel once to the first generation that didn't get into the promised land, and then to the second generation as they were about to go into the promised land. King David had a revelation of that. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases. And then when God became a man, We just saw him tonight in this crowd. When God became a man, what did he do? He removed sickness from the midst of anyone that came to him and asked. He turned no one away for any reason. But what good does that do to us? Because now we've got to come back from that first century to 2021. What good does that do to us? Because Jesus made provision for us just as he made provision for them in those crowds that came to him and the individuals that came to him. Because on that cross, Isaiah tells us, on that cross, Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your pains as well as bearing our sins. He took sickness from our midst. We'll say, how, how come if he took sickness from our midst, how come it's still here? Well, also, did he take sin away? Did he pay for the sin and bear the sin away? But have you ever had any sin in your life? It's because when he bore it for us, when you come to Christ, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, sin no longer has dominion over you. Why? Because Jesus bore your sin for you. But if you want to let it in, if you don't know he's born it for you, if you don't know that he's redeemed you from it, then you're going to just let it overtake you. But once you realize he's already taken that sin, 
and not only paid for it, but he's, he's borne it for you. Therefore, you do not have to bear that sin. You do not have to tolerate that sin unless you want to. But you don't have to. It does not have dominion over you. Romans chapter 6. But that means in the same way, sickness, therefore, does not have dominion over us. So we can come to the cross just like in this multitude, they came to that hill where Jesus was. We can come to the cross, to the finished work of Christ, and we can receive the same with the same confidence, maybe a greater confidence, than we could have had in that crowd, that Jesus has paid for my healing, that it's just as much mine as if I were in that crowd. But here's the work we have to do. For them it was easy because their senses were filled up with story and examples of people. They've seen people because we haven't seen them in that same level. We have to do some work to overcome what we have seen that was, which mitigates against us and what we haven't seen that encourages us. And so that's the purpose of the exercise that we've gone through tonight. You can do that. I would encourage you to do that. To just take a story of healing or anything else and go through the story. Don't just read it. Put yourself there and say, the only difference is I'm there. And take yourself into that story and begin to let your imagination run. Because you see, the Holy Spirit's in you. He was there. He's in you to help you in your imagination picture it. And there's no right or wrong. You know, if you picture it on a beautiful green grassy hill and I picture it on the shore of Galilee, it doesn't matter. What matters is the reality it becomes more a part of you, more a reality to your spirit, to your heart. And your imagination was a gift of God to you to enable you to do that. We let our imaginations run all over the place. Our entertainment industry uses our imaginations. Soap operas, movies, everything they do is designed to use your imagination for their purposes. So they get you emotionally involved in the story. The books that tell the that tell the the pattern and the theory behind how they do it. I did a I taught a course in our school here one year in public speaking, and I didn't realize it was a year course. I when I agreed to it, I thought it was one term, so I ran out of material quickly. So I had to come up with other things to do. So I taught them how how to listen to advertising, how to listen to movies, and what they're doing with you, how they're using your emotions to get you emotionally in involved. So you have an imagination. Most of us just aren't used to using it for God's purposes. You, you ever have trouble worrying? I won't ask for a show of hands. In order to worry, you have to use your imagination because you're worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. So you're taking two or three little bits of information and your mind is projecting a picture of what's going to happen, and Satan is using that picture to tell you something to create fear instead of faith. But you can do the same thing to create faith. And so I would encourage you to take stories. Take this Matthew 11.35 and just slowly go through that. And at first you may have trouble doing it. That's okay. Just keep at it. Just realize the Spirit of God is in you wanting to help you to do that. And, and, and one thing that might help you is in these stories, imagine yourself as one of the characters and then change characters. So maybe you're one of the disciples there helping the people up to Jesus' feet and you're getting to see these things happen firsthand. 
Or maybe you're somebody in a crowd, as we imagine tonight, and you're somewhere back in the crowd and you're, you're straining to see it. Or maybe you're the person that has the affliction and you go through, what's your emotion? What would my emotion be like if I were coming near to Jesus? Do you have trouble going to sleep? Do this when you get to bed. That'll put you to sleep. <laughs> Use your imagination. Use your imagination. That's called meditating. What we did tonight is we meditated on, on two verses of Scripture together. You were there. Let's pray. Father, there's so much that you want to be able to show us and to put inside of our hearts and deposit into our hearts. And so often our understanding and our reading and our time is just so shallow. We read your word and get information. We read your word and may get inspired but we don't really let it soak in and become a part of us. And yet Jesus taught us that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it shall be done unto you by my Father in this in heaven. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Father, there's so much you want to show us. Your spirit, your word says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men, nor has it entered into the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But you go on to say your spirit has been given to us to search the depths of your heart and to reveal these things to us. And so I pray for every one of us, Father, that we would begin to enter into this journey of a deeper understanding, not in our mind, but in our heart, of who you are and what you've done for us and how much you love us because you want to fill us with this reality so that we can bring it into our homes, into our workplaces, into our communities with a boldness and a confidence that's not in ourselves, but it's in the God who lives in us. And that can only be done through the work of your spirit in us. And so we thank you in advance for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Before we close, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to give an opportunity for somebody that's watching tonight.